In those days, after every program, you gave your name. Mm-hmm. You are listening to Morning Melodies, your announcer, Andre Barouche. You are listening, you have listened to whatever, you know, your announcer, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And you did that five, six, seven times a day, six, seven days a week. As a result, your name went out over the air, over a national network, constantly, for years on end. And people got to know your name. Today, the announcer is anonymous. And he makes more money. Because he can do a lot of things. <laughs> Commercials, well, as an see, example. They... You can spot me on a commercial like that. Mm-hmm. And I do a lot of them, but not nearly as many, if my voice and style were not so distinctive. Algeria aflame. Algeria, a country aflame with the only shooting war in the world. Algeria, strategically dominating the southern shores of the Mediterranean. Algeria, where for every Frenchman there are nine Muslims. Algeria, three times the size of France, four times the size of Texas. Algeria, where 400,000 French troops are pinned down by 25,000 rebels. Algeria, a country aflame with revolution. October of 1957, Algeria was in the midst of a war for independence and control between France and the Algerian National Liberation Front. The conflict began in November of 1954, and by October of 1957 was considered the world's only active war of note. It was a complex conflict characterized by guerrilla warfare and the use of torture. When the war finally came to an end in 1962, with France granting Algeria independence, 900,000 Algerian refugees fled to France in fear of the NLF taking revenge on them for siding with France. The majority of Algerian Muslims who had worked for the French were left behind. Algerian authorities promised France they'd take no action against them. However, these Algerian Muslims were branded as traitors, and many were soon murdered. On October 14, 1957, at 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, CBS Radio broadcast a documentary on the first three years of the conflict called Algeria Aflame. This is Blair Clark. That song you hear is an Algerian song sung by rebels in the mountains near the Tunisian border. It sings of freedom, of love for the land, of hatred for the French, of the age-old dream of independence. The men who sing it are soldiers of the Algerian Liberation Army, who are called by the French rebels. They sing this song of Algeria in a lull in their war with the French, a guerrilla war that has now gone on for three years and is getting more and more bitter on both sides. They are outnumbered at least 10 to 1, yet they go on fighting. This is a war, all right, but its name is Stalemate. This is David Schoengren reporting from an airstrip in the Algerian hills near the Tunisian frontier, deep in rebel territory. 
A Piper Cub is taking off to hunt for rebel bands hiding in these hills. In one of the strangest wars I've ever covered, it's a kind of a giant fox hunt. In military terms, casualties here are very small. There's little direct combat. In fact, there are less deaths and injuries here in one month than back in France in one weekend on the highway. The French army is powerful, yet it's impotent, for it can't come to grips with an elusive enemy. It knows the population helps or is forced to help the rebels, but the people must be treated as friendly for political reasons. Yet this army can't understand the politics of Paris or of its allies. The army never wanted to fight this kind of war, yet there's no way out of it in the absence of a political settlement, and there's no settlement in sight, so here in Algeria, the hunt goes on. The aim of the rebels, or nationalists, ever since the first small bands took to the hills on All Saints Day, November 1st, 1954, has been nothing less than independence, nationhood for Algeria. This small revolt, which has become a war, was from the start a fight against second-class French citizenship by the nine million Muslims of Algeria, a land that is legally a part of France, a land whose destiny is decided in France by the French not in Algeria by the Algerians. It was a struggle at first by a few, but now by many, for freedom, for self-determination. A few weeks ago, CBS News correspondent Frank Kearns, whose post is in Cairo, made contact with leaders of the Algerian Liberation Front, the FLN. His assignment? Go with the FLN up into the hills of Algeria and report on what he saw. His mission? to find out what kind of an army the nationalists had, how it was armed, how it fought, what was its morale and its chances. Reporter Kearns went to Tunis and prepared for his journey into rebel territory in French Algeria. With him, he took a portable tape recorder, and every day he recorded a diary of what he saw and heard with the rebels inside Algeria. There were many delays, but at last came the order to start we finally start marching down a dirt road toward Algeria. Several times we hit the dirt as a curious plane flies overhead till the sergeant in command chooses the hard way up over the hills. Legs accustomed to elevators and taxis suddenly ache and pain. The heart pounds harder and harder. But worst of all is the breathing. With each step up the steep mountainside, each breath is agony. Has to be pulled up from somewhere down around the ankles rattles like that of a dying person. Any fear of the French disappears completely. In fact, all thoughts and emotions are wiped out by the supreme effort to take another breath, another step. Above all, I am afraid, horribly afraid, of collapsing, of losing face. But somehow the feet and legs and lungs keep working. Up and up as the going gets rougher, as dusk, then darkness settles over the mountains. The air is cool, even cold but our clothes are still soaked and perspiration drips from our faces. Then, just as collapse seems inevitable, we come to a halt on a mountaintop. We all sink to the ground without a word, without question. I sprawl like a man staked out, unable to move even if the entire French army attacks. For Kearns and his rebel escort, the going was tough, mostly at night over rugged terrain. French troops on the lookout, sometimes from a distance of just a grenade's throw. In the short rest periods as they climbed up and up into the hills, Kearns recorded his diary. As they moved west, they encountered refugees heading east to the safety of Tunisia, ragged byproducts of the war. 
The Algerian nationalists say there are at least 200,000 refugees in Tunisia, almost as many in Morocco. After a week inside Algeria, a week of living with the nationalists in the hills and sharing their dangers, reporter Kearns felt he knew something about their military organization, what kind of an army they had. The French picture these men abroad as bands of outlaws, as bandits. But here on the spot, it's obvious they are soldiers, part of a well-organized, well-disciplined army. The majority are veterans of the French army itself, veterans of World War II and Indochina. They're young, mostly in their 20s. The official age brackets are between 18 and 35. Young because it takes young men to fight this tough mountain guerrilla war. The Algerians have no planes like the French, no American B-26s, P-38s, Piper Cubs. They have no artillery, no American 105s and 155s. Their biggest weapon is a mortar. No jeeps, no trucks, no half-tracks, only mules. They're outnumbered, out-equipped, anywhere from 5 to 10 to 1. Yet we've never heard a single solitary Algerian soldier use the phrase, if we win. It's always after the war, après la guerre. Kearns had now been inside Algeria with the rebels for two weeks. He described the operations of one company in one area. Before the trouble, this area had about 4,000 people, mostly farmers. The Algerians say their official records show that 374 persons have been killed here by the French, almost all civilians, mostly women and children. Others have been interned or have gone away, wandering through the mountains. Only about 1,000 are left. There are some 6,500 French troops in this region, yet the ALN company here attacks without let-up. Two sections, 36 men, are specialists in sabotage. The train from Algiers to Tunisia, usually a troop train or carrying French military supplies, is attacked regularly. The lieutenant in charge of this work, a tall, deceptively mild-mannered and soft-spoken man, says casually that his men sabotage the trains once a week and that it takes the French two or th three days to repair the damage each time. Also, the saboteurs regularly topple electric high-tension poles or pylons. Reporter Kearns naturally formed views from what he saw in a month with the Algerian nationalists inside Algeria. He gave us his conclusions. The French may claim all this is a strictly internal affair, but the bulk of her war machine in Algeria is furnished by America, diverted from the international effort known as NATO. The refugees pouring into Tunisia and Morocco are fast becoming an international problem which soon may become as big and difficult and tragic as the Palestine refugee problem. All the countries giving aid to Algeria lend further international color to the Algerian problem. And the communist offer of arms, more and more tempting to Algerians hungry for arms, Algerians fighting Indian style against a jet-age army, looms more and more ominous in the background. In brief, the Algerian war, and it is a war, has been going on almost three years now. Neither side is giving an inch or gaining an inch. Neither side will accept any kind of compromise. Neither side will give the other a way out.